you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we are the quantum mechanics with the paranormal podcast for the believers, the doubters, and just about everyone in between. Um, I've been feeling a bit guilty this week, man. What have you done? Uh, well, it's not what I've done, it's what I haven't done, I think. So we talked about, you said last week, you asked me what it was like being out of lockdown and getting out there and doing stuff. And I was going, I've, nothing's really changed. I haven't really done anything. Oh, yeah, you did say that, yeah. Yeah, and I, I had to pick my daughter up from somewhere in Oxford and I had an hour wait. And I thought, oh, I'll do a bit of food shopping. I went, I'm in Oxford. I can, I can do anything. I thought I could go to a coffee shop. I can. There's a there's an audio shop near there. I was going to have a browse around there. So I did the food shopping. Got back to the car, sat in there, and went. Oh, I don't know if I can. <laughs> I don't know if I can put on the mask and go out again. So I just sat in the car and read a book. I feel really boring. Oh, you didn't even go to KFC. No, I didn't. I just, I literally came back with my food shopping and went, right, I'm going off out now. And then I thought, oh, no, I don't, I just, no, I'll just sit in the car, read a book. I felt very boring. Oh, don't feel boring. I've been institutionalized. Yeah, yeah. It's like, um, you know, the, you know, the guy in Shawshank Redemption, is he called Mr. Brooks or whatever? Where, I know. I know he, he had a bad ending. Yeah. But where he, yeah, he left. And then he just couldn't take it outside. All the cars were very rush, rushing around and it was all very noisy. I felt a bit like him when I got home. I thought, oh, that's really sad. No, that, like, I completely get you. But the only thing I counteract with that is all the burgers are delicious. So, bye. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out I would there. have just gravitated towards <laughs> a McDonald's, a KFC, a Burger King, any of those. That's the good thing about doing the podcast because the pressure will be on me now <laughs> to come back and report on my trips, my trips around outside. I'm going to have to go to some kind of swanky nightclub or something. Oh, I wasn't advocating a swanky nightclub. I was just merely advocating a Zinger Burger. But yeah, I get you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll start there and see okay. where I go. But yes, yeah, so... Um, but yes, I'm looking forward to today's episode just because, <laughs> yeah, yet again, you are one of the few people I've seen, and that's on Zoom. Oh well, that's true. Although, although we did we did have a pub meet up, and that we we did, and I enjoyed that a lot. So, I'm, but I'm, maybe I'm being tough we reaffirmed myself. that each of us still had legs. That was a thing. Yeah, yeah, slightly chunkier <laughs> ones, but we've got them. I think. Chunky is probably like I think it's a byword for sexy. I'm going to go with. I think I think that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. chunky. Um, <laughs> Chunky's the new sexy. I this week um, I'm going to take you back to a time before either of us were born, um, specifically to April 24th, 1964, and to a gentleman called Lonnie Zamora. And I think there will be a lot of our listeners who probably are familiar with this tale um, because it is a a story of what you would call a close encounter. But I've been reading a new book, which I will get onto, and it makes some very interesting points. And... After reading the book, I did feel like Lonnie Zamora's 
incident was kind of it felt very prescient in today's environment where we're we're waiting for the outcome of the pentagon report about like what they know about ufos and it also feels very different um to a lot of the accounts so before the world of the tic tac um video and the forward facing flare cameras and all of that this was a case where it was one man who had some very very compelling evidence that was very difficult to dispute and it doesn't revolve around you know cameras on the front of fighter jets and and he was quite a compelling witness as well from from i I don't remember totally the story but was was he a policeman or was he army or something he's a compelling witness right he's one of those that you want to get in that scenario isn't it yes like that yeah yes yes he he is a policeman yes and He's a policeman in Socorro in New Mexico. And he, his story, basically, the, the nuts and bolts of it are, he is pursuing a speeding car going through that area, Socorro, New Mexico. And whilst he's pursuing this car, so you imagine he's a, he's a, a cop on traffic patrol. He hears a roar and sees a flame in the sky um and he feels like this is like possibly half a mile or a mile away and he thinks that there is a local dynamite shack has that has exploded Mm -hmm. so he's in an area where these things exist like us in rural oxfordshire a (laughs) dynamite shack not the first thing that comes to mind is it (laughs) no no but but where he is there are mines and there's a mining community and he gives up the chase and so he then goes to the area where he thinks that this uh explosion might have happened and this is where this is where sort of the whole story starts so he claims to um, have observed a shiny object about, so this is direct quote, to the south, about 150 to 200 yards away. And he initially believed it to be an overturned white car. And then he goes on to say it looked like it was made of aluminium or aluminum, if you are one of our American friends. Yeah. So it's whitish against the kind of sandy colored background, but not chrome. And um, his explanation um, and his description says it was very similar in shape to the letter O. And when you delve into the various descriptions, it's it's more of a tic-tac kind of shape and... Yeah. This is something we've seen recently, right? Um, and there's a symbol on it, and we'll come to that symbol later because that turns out to be um, very important. Okay. But beyond the description of this landed craft is the thing which really caused the hullabaloo, because I think hullabaloo is how you can accurately describe what happened afterwards. He says that he briefly observed 
two people, and I say people in inverted commas, in white overalls beside the object. And he went on to describe them as normal in shape, but in size they were small adults or large kids. Right. And so this is one of the very first cases of somebody so we're not talking about an abduction and we're not just talking about a ufo sighting we're talking about somebody who has seen a supposed landed craft and two beings that are assumed to be in control of that craft and they're pottering around outside of its um vicinity right and and at this point do we know how close he was to them? Uh, yeah, yeah. So um, his his initial explanation, so he's like 150, 200 yards. Okay. So that is, you know, that's pretty decent in terms of... Being a, yeah, like, to make out decent shapes, and especially if it's a, a big, let's, for want of a better word, call it a craft. That, yeah. That would look quite big at that distance. And yeah, That's okay. right. So it's, if you imagine... It's not like two miles away or something, or a mile away. No, no, no. So it might be like when you come up to traffic lights, you tend to get a warning at about 100 yards, yeah. and that's when you start braking. Yeah, yeah. And so it's kind of it's kind of double that. So yep. you can imagine that you'd get a decent um, viewing of it. So by this point, he has broken off his chase with what turned out to be um a teenage speeder and he's also realized that um what he was uh, looking for is not a dynamite shack and so he decides obviously the first thing you do as a policeman is to phone in um your sighting so he makes a radio call into sergeant sam chavez and so he he is um, a, a sergeant in New Mexico State Police Force. And on getting the call, he drives straight out to where Zamora um, claims to be. Before he arrives, um, Zamora has a look around the area and he notes like one of the key factors is there is um some vegetation that is on fire that is that's a thing that's happening and he also notes that there are um marks in the sand and the dirt on the ground where like the legs of this craft have have landed so there are very key physical pieces of evidence that Chavez can see when when he arrives, and what uh, you may get onto this. What happened in between those po- points for for Lonnie? Had he seen this thing? What ha- what did, uh, did he stay and watch this thing? He stayed and watched this thing. Yeah, yeah. And in between um, him uh, waiting for Chavez and like just watching this craft the the beings get on it and it disappears that's kind of right like the that part of the um the encounter is less important it's it's almost like yeah they got on they disappeared the thing disappeared yeah. so before chavez arrived he disappeared the 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 craft disappeared but it was the fact that he 
as soon as he saw it, he stayed with it, and then he went down and saw the aftermath, if you like. Yep, yep, we did. Um, and then at the same time as he's waiting for Sam Chavez, he's also waiting, like, he doesn't know this, but um, Chavez has passed on this call to uh, the FBI and also the police headquarters. Wow. So it really starts to, like, there's a there's a big sort of whirlwind of excitement which starts around this sighting. And Chavez is the first person to see Zamora on, on site. So Chavez turns up to where Zamora is. And Zamora, if you remember, he's just looked around the site. He can see the marks. He can see the burnt bush. And apparently Chavez says to Zamora, you look, you've seen the devil. And Zamora says, well, maybe I have. <laughs> and And this is the moment where like you realize this thing has affected this guy quite considerably yeah. but it it really ignites like i say the because of all the reports you can't keep the press out of this and because you can't keep the press out of this you can't keep the ufo researchers out of this so during the week that followed um, Sakura was literally overrun with UFO researchers as well as official official uh, investigators, including Dr. J. Allen Hynek. Um, and I didn't, I had no idea that he was involved in this. So, like, I'm pretty sure that most of our listeners will know who he is, but he is head of Project Blue Book. He is the Air Force's astrophysics consultant. Um, he and, is and kind it, of interestingly he was also an advisor on close encounters of the third kind to steven spielberg mm. that's right yes yes um so when when we start looking into the evidence for uh lonnie's claims and um you know because at the time it just feels like it's one man's d despite the the evidence on the ground it, it's always going to be one man's word against you know whoever and and his reputation really despite being a policeman but go but go um, back slightly just so i'm clear so uh, lolly sees this stuff yeah uh the craft disappears he goes he sees the stuff where it, it had burnt the ground or the vegetation, uh, marks, uh, the implication being marks where the thing, the craft, had landed. Yeah. And then when uh, Chavez comes, mm -hmm. yeah. he sees this as well, this stuff? He does see this as well. Okay. And, uh, and so do the other investigators. Right. Uh, and in fact... Um, that seems quite the, key, doesn't it? Because, uh, you know, the implication being if he's making it up, not only has he made up the whole thing, but he's gone to quite a lot of effort to burn vegetation and create marks to keep his story consistent if he was making it up. Right. And, and um, those, the marks that are made in the ground are well recorded by a number of investigators there are drawings you you can search for them online you can see the drawings for them 
but it's the it it i think what is key here is that we've got a man in i guess you the, the easiest way to put it is he's in public service credible and, credible witness who's trained to, to pay attention to details right right, right. yeah and and he's he's with one radio message he's brought in all of this attention and like what is kind of really super interesting is Heineck very publicly stated that he was puzzled that um the Zamora object was not picked up on radar despite the fact and this is um Heineck's words that despite the area being literally infested with radar because we're in a very um sort of uh we're in a sensitive part of the US um because we've got missile bases and yep. all of that yep. sort of thing and and we'll we'll come on to that in a minute and and that is one of the things that is a a bit of a head scratcher mm. and it also it's, caused can i just say yeah. say at that point because it's interesting while you were talking about it i was thinking about the fact that you know you've got one man who basically says i've seen this thing and it seems like some the the effect of him calling in and saying he's seen this thing in some places you would expect them to go oh yeah lonnie's gone a bit crazy right but it seemed mm -hmm. to set off trigger a number of events and i was thinking that oh does that say there was ufo uh activity in the area and that's why and they know something and that's why they're taking it seriously but you're right there's so many military and other things there that any report of that sort would be taken seriously because it could be a Russian spy plane or whatever, couldn't it? Yes, yes. Well, we'll, we'll come on to um, other, other activity theories. in the area in, in a minute because I think that you make a very good point. But where he is, it's incredibly close to the White Sands missile range. Right, okay. And I think a lot of people will probably know the white sands missile range from its reputation it is a place where um there were there were tests for the forthcoming lunar exp uh, expeditions by uh, nasa yeah and so one of the very first sort of potential um claims of a mistaken not necessarily a hoax but a mistaken sighting comes from observers who say well it was obviously a lunar landing test right. that was set off by the white sands missile range and then astronauts in white uniforms yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and then um there is another potential sort of explanation that um, debunkers really like to pull up which is um this place is not very far from the new mexico tech and there is chatter that it was a you know a something staged by students from the new mexico tech but i think like that seems like a long shot the new mexico tech stuff because 
you, you would need to create you know a large model and dress up and you'd have to put a lot of effort into um you know kidding one man and but, and, and in that um in that theory is the the kind of joyrider he's chasing uh, is the implication there in on it as well dragging him to the site is that that or is that separate uh yeah well no so so the joyrider has kind of gone and you know we, no, we but don't... I, I meant was if it was a put by the 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 tech place was it was that person in that theory dragging him to the destination oh i see what you mean yeah. i see what you mean um i'm could like be. i don't think could anyone be. has ever yeah it's it's Yes, I suppose it's possible, but that would have to be a heck of a uh, a big thing because he not only saw this thing landed and there were bushes on fire and stuff, but he saw it take take off. And like yeah. I su- I suppose I hadn't really fully addressed your earlier point, but yes, he saw it take off. So y- these people would need to have if you are a bunch of students, you would need to have a way of making this thing take off. Making something take off is less difficult if you are uh, experimenting with a lunar lander mm. that is, in a couple of years, destined to be on the moon, which is what is happening at the White Sands Missile Range. Yeah, but, and, and also, if they're that good, you want to give that institution a bit more money because they're obviously churning out some amazing students. Oh, right? yes. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. You're right, you're right. But the fact that it's a... The the, the notion that is a, um, a, a test lunar lander is quite a long shot. I Again, I don't want to bring it up now, but it's the the markings on the side of this craft are very key yep. and if you are testing if you if you are nasa and you are testing a lunar lander out in the desert there is not one piece of nasa equipment which doesn't have a us flag on it and nasa logo on it like they are not shy of what's going on there's no point in saying well they wouldn't do that because um they are fearful of the russians finding out yeah. because they they are be- because this is a like a space race with the russians the, every time they make a forward step that is ahead of the russians they are proud of it they shout about it there are press releases they're on the television they're making a big deal of it if you're testing lunar landers and saying, you know, making a public statement, oh, we'll be on the moon soon. This is something that we're having having a go at. You do not have diminutive figures in white suits in an unmarked craft with a peculiar logo on the side, which yeah, which yeah. we will we will get to. But you also said, like, is it were there other sightings at the time? And that is something that this book really sort of goes into in depth because this is a time in the u.s when there were quite a lot of really i guess you'd say legendary sightings of um not just ufos but um creatures and objects associated with 
peculiar things that were associated you know with either lights or spacecraft or whatever and i think probably one of the most famous ones is from august 21st 1955 and it's the kelly hopkinsville incident and this revolves around this particular event where you've got five adults and it's seven children and they turn up at the Hopkinsville police station claiming that small alien creatures from a spacecraft were attacking their farmhouse and they'd been holding them off with gunfire in quotes for nearly four hours. I remember this story, yeah. yeah. And um, there's two particular adults, Elmer Sutton and... Billy Ray Tyler, Taylor, Billy Ray Taylor, um, claimed that they'd been shooting short, dark figures who repeatedly popped up at the doorway or, or appeared into windows. And this um, this account goes on and on. And there's all kinds of um, sort of backwards and forwards evidence. But at the end of the day there was there was literally nothing which discounted those people's evidence and the police consistently reported although they couldn't see what these families were seeing they that they could they they weren't there was no evidence that they were shooting at people there were no dead people there were no dead animals yeah. they could see evidence of something going on and this and, was and the all... reports that i seem to remember the, the the family were genuinely freaked out right it wasn't like terrified yeah yeah i remember that they you know so yeah I, unless there was some kind of mass hallucination going on it was like it's not like they'd mistaken i don't know some raccoons for aliens you know what i mean they were terrified yeah. right well well the raccoons is actually you're right that is a good that is something that um skeptics bring up as okay. like oh they they just had an invasion of raccoons right. but um when officers came to check on the family the following day um neighbors told them that the families had packed up and left after claiming that the creatures had returned at 3.30 in the morning. And what we're talking about here are itinerant families. They're carnival folk, but this was a house that was home to a number of them. This wasn't to be given up lightly, and it certainly isn't to be given up by people who like are mistaken that, um, you know, raccoons are... I, I have no experience in it, but having talked to people in America, they are they are quite annoying. But maybe it is a bridge too far to say you would leave your house for an infestation. Oh yeah, I think I'm sure they're very annoying, but I don't think It'd that number out. of that, you 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 wouldn't you wouldn't go to a police station um, with that that sort of claim. Um, so that's. Uh, 1955 if you go back slightly earlier so this is kind of about 14 years before uh, Lonnie's incident um, September the 12th 1952 the Flatwoods monster 
And I think this is probably one of the most famous ones. So at 7.15pm on September the 12th, 52, two brothers, Edward and Fred May, and also their friend Tommy, said they saw a bright object cross the sky and land on the property of a local farmer, uh, a G. Bailey Fisher. The boys went to the home of uh, one of their neighbours, Kathleen May, and they told her their story. And she went with the boys and um, they went and got a local guardsman. And then they went onto the Fisher farm to locate whatever it was that the boys said they'd seen. And when they reached the top of a hill where um, one of the kids said they'd seen a pulsing red light, um, they saw... uh, (laughs) Some of the accounts differ, but basically what they saw was a man-like figure with a round red face um, surrounded by a pointed hood-like shape. So we've got another incident of um in this case so so in the first case we've got peculiar alien like um creatures self-proclaimed by the people who are sort of fending them off and in the case of the flatwoods monster there is this sighting of these peculiar lights and then this very strange creature Although that creature is sound, was it? It was big, bright red face and a pointy hat. Red face, pointed pointed hood-like shape, yeah. It's reminded me of Will Ferrell and Elf. (laughs) That's that's what's going through my mind. (laughs) Well, we shouldn't discount that. We shouldn't discount (laughs) that. Could have been him. He could be the cause of all this trouble. Although he probably wasn't around in 19... When are we in the 50s now? Yeah. We're, uh, yeah, we're we're in 52. But later on, it goes on to find that a journalist finds that there are um, uh, sort of skid marks and um, what is described as an odd gummy deposit in the field mm. where the um, supposed saucer spacecraft uh landed so, so what's really interesting maybe i'm jumping the gun but what's no, re- no. what's really interesting about all these cases well certainly the that one uh and the lonnie zamora one and uh i don't know about the other one whether there was any kind of physical traces because we've covered a lot of uh stories on the podcast from a paranormal side rather than a UFO side necessarily. Yeah. What always amazes me is, you know, there's very... People react to them not necessarily in this kind of hysterical fashion that we're seeing with your family shooting at things. That These phenomena seem incredibly visual, whereas, you know, the ghost ones are, a, you know, a bit of Lego flying through the air. <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. They're very visual and there are real physical signs that more than one person sees, you know, and whether this is kind of aliens from outer space or whatever, that that interests me. While these sightings and reports 
have far much more going on and far much more detail and skinwalker ranches like that you know what i mean whereas a haunted house is there was a puddle of water and a lego brick got thrown you know what i mean it's they're, they're on a different level yeah that's right so all of this um all of these stories that i've been recounting come from the book encounter in the desert by kevin d randall right. and that is kind of what he's trying to draw um a parallel with so um uh, with lonnie zamora's case we've got um a, a visual sighting of a craft we've got a visual sighting of beings and it just so happens that at that moment the two are together but then there's an aftermath there is a burning uh, there's burning vegetation there is um sort of strange marks in the earth in the sand and then around that time within a few years either side of it we've got very similar cases and although they're not exactly identical like there isn't a a spotting of a landed craft and um beings coming out of it and doing you know sort of going about their business around it what we have got are lights we've got um potential evidence of landing and we've got evidence of uh well visual and anecdotal evidence of people experiencing beings which don't appear to be human yeah and so all of that it it sort of what he's making the point of is all of this is coming together to make i i don't know if the author would describe it as an alien flap but you've got uh, you you have got the basis of an alien flap. You've got an awful lot of beings, craft, markings. Those are the those are the three key things. Yeah, and and I think what's quite interesting is again if you compare it to the paranormal poltergeisty ghost type stories, you don't get this clustering effect so much. Or, or I guess somebody like Ruth Roper Wild, that's what she's looking into, but. You have this kind of clustering effect in terms of areas and types of sightings, which I again seems slightly different to. Oh yeah, no, one's in Pontefract, one's in Enfield. Do you know what I mean? And they're they're quite spaced out even compared to that. So I think that's really interesting as well. Mm. Yeah, I do as well. And and then the author brings up this really interesting case which is uh it's so similar to zamora's case it happens in 1952 august 25th to be precise so this is 19 uh so this is 12 years before zamora um comes to prevalence and this happens in pittsburgh in kansas and uh there's a gentleman called william squires and he is driving uh, from Fontana to Pittsburgh and he sees what he describes as a landed craft and also what he describes as a man controlling it. Um, he talks about the windows um, being blue and he talks about this unknown object hovering above a field before touching down in very, very similar way to Zamora. And the general description of the craft is, is very similar. They're not identical, 
but they're really very very similar and it's it's what we're talking about is kind of like a main kind of it like it in the zamora case it does sound like it's more of a tiktoky a tick tacky shape and in um the pittsburgh case it sounds like it's more slightly sorcery but they are definitely not a million miles away the but zamora one, one the... sounds like a mint tic tac doesn't it yeah, yes, it does. But one of the things that really differentiates Zamora's account from any others and led, lends credence to the Pittsburgh case is um, the description of the symbol on the side. So when Zamora saw his craft, he describes it as white and he draws this symbol on the side and um we'll put the um we'll put the drawing in the show notes if you search for Lonnie Zamora land uh, uh, craft symbol or something similar to that UFO symbol um you will see lots of different versions of it but the original drawing if you find it it's like um you've kind of got a upwards arrow which is an empty arrow, so it's two sticks in an upwards arrow shape. And then below it, you've got a single vertical stick. Then over the top of that, you've got like a semicircle, almost like forming like a dome sort of shape over the top of the arrow. Mm. And then um, below and not touching the stick going into the arrow is a... Uh, horizontal uh, sort of line. And People that, have it, described it, I've seen online, as looking like a little bit like the signs you get on the side of boxes that say this way up. Yes, but it's very particular the way that Lonnie describes it. And then what was interesting, whilst Lonnie was describing these cases, one of the ways that people who were assessing his case against what other people were saying was um, that because Lonnie was asked to keep this symbol secret and to himself, people were asked about the symbol. And what was interesting was the newspapers at the time, before he had been asked to keep it to himself, had taken the symbol, but they'd kind of changed it, perhaps not on purpose, but they'd done things like fill in the arrows, um, whereas uh, Lonnie's original drawing didn't have those filled in. And so when people were reporting the cases, one of the ways to tell whether people had seen the same thing as Lonnie or whether they were sort of jumping on the bandwagon was to ask them about this symbol. And a, a surprisingly large number of people were giving examples to newspapers of times they'd seen a craft but the what they were describing it matched the symbol in the newspaper rather than the symbol that Lonnie had uh, had had described Uh, uh, and when we talk about that case in Pittsburgh the same symbol that Lonnie describes that he had kept to himself is seen on that craft and I think that is that a really, is really key weird. point. Can we just yeah. run through that timeline again? So, mm. so the one that had uh, the one 
before Lonnie's case that had the symbol on the side. What year was that? Okay, so the Pittsburgh, uh, Kansas incident was uh, 12 years before uh, Zamora, so it was um, 1952. Okay. Uh, And that symbol wasn't seen on any of the other cases that you've talked about, but it was seen by Lonnie. Correct. Which was 12, 12 years later. Yeah, so that's 664. Which is really interesting to me in terms of, because there is an argument, isn't it, that he was just seeing some secret technology or a helicopter or, you know what I mean? And he'd misidentified yeah. it. But, you know, in technology terms, 12 years, especially around that time, that's, quite, that's, that's a long time. In, oh in yeah. development do you know what i mean that it you wouldn't keep i don't, can't imagine if you created something let's go with that story the military had created some kind of craft 12 years ago it gets spotted and they're still playing around with it and it's totally secret 12 years later and seen that seems, yeah that doesn't i mean there probably are examples like that but that seems odd to me no, it it is odd, and like I can understand why people would go with the lunar landing explanation because what he describes a craft with legs, you know, that d- does definitely sound like a lunar lander. But would that go back as far as the sort of early fifties, and? All of this stuff makes me, again, come to the conclusion. So we've spoken so much recently about trickster spirits or um, making your own reality. And it, it so much feels like this sort of notion of, like, there are so many sci-fi tropes here. We've kind of got, like, a craft that lands on legs with beings in sort of spacesuits like we're definitely in that sort of um like pre star trek day era the, day the earth stood still type stuff right like the original exactly yeah yes and and all of these things feel like of their it, time. again of their time, yeah. yes, or slightly or ahead, ahead yeah, yeah. of their time, yeah, but only just ahead of their time. Well, it's and always that's... funny. I was thinking about this the other day because we we talked about that in terms of the airships, didn't we, during the First yes. World War? Yes, yes, yes. And it, it's almost not ahead of their time. It's almost like how you would imagine the future to look at that point. You know what I mean? Right, the, the, right. The Jetsons kind of bubble bubbly looking cars with big fins on the side you know you wouldn't you wouldn't think whereas like now everything's kind of then you have a kind of kind of apple influenced tesla-y type looking stuff now if we'd have believed the 50s we'd be driving around with a massive winged car with a bubble on the top which we're not that's right that's right and and we also get in, in some of these sightings, so what the author of this book is trying to do is kind of like show the similarities of um, uh, what is happening sort of in popular sort of paranormal culture at the time. And one of the things that caught my eye, so the Flatwoods monster, which I've just reminded you, that's 52. 
um, there is talk of uh, when the creature is seen, there is a peculiar, um, uh, it, yeah, it's described as a pungent mist before the creature is seen and that the people are nauseated. And that, again, is something which goes back to like much earlier times. We talk about like phantom gases and even things like if you go 1952, if you go back 100 years before 1952, you go back to things like Spring Hill Jack in London. Well, who... or, or the, it reminded me of those ufo sightings we discussed in connection with the mythology around the grim reaper wasn't there there was right. green gases yes. around that wasn't there yes you are absolutely right yes i'd forgotten that yes yes completely um, and for those and who've not heard that episode we did an episode on the kind of legend of the grim reaper and we 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 talked about various theories of it you know supernatural paranormal ghosts alternate universes but there were a couple of reports i think again from the 1500s and some of the yeah. descriptions of what was seen uh reminded us of ufos and some of the descriptions talked about kind of green gases that would be associated yes. with the phenomena of the grim reapers visited yes so we tied yes. those into the ufo phenomena but that sounds similar to what you're talking about now in the 50s yes yeah so what you're what you're talking about i i remember this this episode so we were talking about lights in the sky then peculiar beings in strange suits seen in fields and then um these gases around villages people being overcome by the gases and then an outbreak of the plague yeah. and yeah and, and uh, that uh, was farming farmers as well i think yeah yes it was yes 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 so what we've got here it's almost like we haven't moved on that far but we've got you know the 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 dress of the creatures has moved on um the craft have moved on so we're definitely like post second world war like it's it's almost the certainty that someone's going to get to the moon yeah. and we've got um not only the sort of the very late second world war aircraft which are all kinds of weird shapes and sizes some of them are discs with legs yeah. but we like this is the reason why the white sands missile base is brought in because we we are definitely experimenting with lunar landers um but all of those other cases, like that, the reason for bringing up the Flatwoods monster from 52, like, although you've got lights in the sky, although you've got some mention of some a craft landing on the ground and you've got this sort of gummy-like deposit, as they say, like, it... It feels like, again, like you say, it's just the head of technology. Yeah. That isn't people who are experimenting with a lunar landing. Those aren't astronauts going and yeah. messing with a couple of families on a farm. This is something else. And all of these things, they feel like a very... Um, it's an easy explanation to say, well, you know, Lonnie was mistaken. He saw 
these things. Let's forget about it. By the way, he became so tired of um, talking about this subject. He eventually left the police force and um, managed to get a petrol station. Well, I, I, again, I've, I've, I've seen various bits and documentaries on him. What, what always struck me when I've seen footage of him and his story, he, I, I think I'm right in thinking he always came across as a really kind of honourable and upfront. Yeah. No, no thrills, but honourable and, you know, I, I don't know the word. I think it was a gentleman. Yes. Was yes, was, yes. That was, that was my that's my gut impression from my memory of him. Um, yes, and that is how he is described by a number of investigators, including J. Allen Hylek. Yes, which means that you know th- he didn't come across to me in the stuff I've seen as somebody who was Machiavellian. I guess you could argue would it make him gullible, but you know he, I can see why he would have just got fed up with it because he feels like the kind of person who would stick with his story because it's the right thing to do. But yes. would almost, you know, in some ways, it could have ruined his life. Yes, yes, and and like in some ways, I think it did. Like I say, he went on to just leave his career and 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 manage a petrol station. But it's almost like, in some ways, you can look at it as he was the perfect witness if you look at it from the other angle of um i don't know the cia the air force whatever what he saw if it was real and let's just assume it was real for a minute if you can then find a credible explanation that most people will go oh yeah that sounds right so what he saw was a lunar lander Mm. and because he's so credible it's almost like it makes sense to push that argument that it was a lunar lander Mm. because he's so credible because the more he says no it really wasn't the more you can say look even this guy he was taken in as well like don't believe in ufos because this brilliant guy who we really love as a police force um you know a, a, a stalwart of the police force he was taken in, yeah. and now he believes this nuts thing. But it's and interesting, while you're talking about that, that's making me think there's almost, uh, from a disinformation point of view, so let's assume the incident's real and you're the government or whoever and you've got to disprove this, whether it be mm. paranormal, UFO, whatever it is. It's mm. almost like it's the witness that in some some ways decides what the pushback against it is yeah do, do you know yes. what i mean if it's i do yeah uh, you see that a bit with bob lazar don't you yeah so you think bob lazar from a skeptic's point of view well he was a bit of a kind of nutty guy and he was a gambler and he did all this kind of weird stuff so he's slightly kooky and mad is the narrative you know similar with some of the paranormal people well, they were just they were a bit damaged or they, you know, their, their family had gone through a tough time. So that explains it. When you get somebody yes. like Zamora, who, like we say, is, an, is a trained policeman, almost in some ways matter of fact about it. He wasn't looking to see this thing. He just saw whatever he saw. 
Yes. You've almost got to go, oh, what's the pushback? The pushback, oh, secret technology that we're working. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like your your response yes. has to suit your witness. Yes. Oh, oh I, now that that is a great way of putting it because, yes, that's exactly right. Because the other way that um, if this was real, that it could have been played was... Lonnie, you've got to shut up, otherwise you and your family are going to be dead. Yeah. And that wouldn't play out nicely because he's so above the board, he's so respected yeah, yeah. that, you know, if if he suddenly died, that's going to be, you know, that's going to be worse than if you just go, do you know what, Lonnie? You're just wrong. Yeah. You're just wrong. And you keep saying you're just wrong. Well, until... it's like, and, and Lonnie, is Lonnie going to be mad? Well, no one's going to believe he's mad. He's pretty eloquent about it and he didn't right, want to see yeah. this thing in the first place so we can't yeah use that. yeah 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 exactly exactly and and every time i've been reading about him i've thought about um travis walton and like his experience with his abduction and although he has been um i don't know like yeah, I think people in the UFO community um, blow hot and cold on him because he had the film made and the book and all of that. But like, there's nothing as a uh, as as he was like a woodsman, as a, a somebody cutting trees for a contract up in the the mountains. Like, there's nothing he could have said which would have made anybody believe him, despite the um uh, lie detector tests he took like again he's an easy target you go well you know he's a bit of a redneck he's put like all of his mates they were probably bullying him it's easy easy to discredit uh, discredit these people yeah ben that's it is interesting that that relationship between the witness and the kind of pushback that they get i mean it doesn't necessarily mean that there's anything going on there it might just be the way it is but it, it is it's it's weird to think that that's what tends to happen i think yes and i i think what's also super interesting is that from him reporting this it defines the rest of his well i would say life but also probably you know, equally importantly, his his career. And we've said it before, and I'm sure we'll say it again, but you, you have to look at what these people have to gain from saying something. And it's very difficult to know what Lonnie would have gained yeah. from saying this to anybody. It would have been much better for him if he'd have carried on and pulled over that speeder and like even if he thought that the um dynamite shack had blown up let's you know that's the thing that distracted him and then he sees this speeder it would have been much better if on his report he said thought dynamite shack had blown up i was mistaken i lost the speeder that's the end of the report and he kept everything else to himself and this is this sort of feels like a recurring thing and if like we we talked we talked 
extensively there about like how these aliens you well i I think we're making a presumption there aliens these this phenomena is making itself known as if it were something that is a few years ahead Mm. of our technology and i I said it earlier it's very tricksterish why why would it do Mm. such a thing why would it let itself be seen what is the reason for that and then is there a is the relationship between um like this what lonnie sees and the black monk and banshees all of that is the relationship much closer than we think because it's almost like we are on a ghost train and there is somebody playing playing a prank on us because all of these things seem so closely related in their effects and their abilities that it just seems like a bizarre thing like maybe ufos and ghosts and peculiar entities are not so far apart yeah and it because because i started thinking about the other theme that we talk about quite a lot on the podcast of people seeing something they can't explain and interpreting it in a way that makes sense to them you know even and that could be a natural phenomenon but they 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 can't there's almost some kind of sensory overload so they completely paint the picture themselves which again would fit that theory of just being ahead of the time or being influenced by the visuals of the culture at the time, whether it be the day the earth stood still or, you know, other UFO reports, whatever it is. I think the difference, I think we alluded to it a little bit earlier of the UFO ones, especially in America, especially in that location is that theory of you didn't know what it was. So you're interpreting it in a certain way because your brain can't handle anything else. Doesn't explain physical signs doesn't explain mm. in Lonnie's case the 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 burning vegetation on the ground or the the markings that he saw because I seem to th- yeah I, I, was there not something of footprints that he saw or was it more just the shape of the craft it was Landing it was more the shape of the craft yeah okay the, yeah there, there are there are some um reports of footprints around the area but they aren't nearly so sort of um compelling maybe yeah i think that's the word yeah they're not nearly so compelling as the the landing feet of the craft yeah so you know your trickster spirit in this sense in my mind makes is more of a kind of logical route than your brain interpreting something that it can't quite understand whatever it is because you wouldn't then have these physical leftovers from the experience in my mind yeah i think i think that's that's right and it's difficult to know whether the trickster element is um is the phenomena or it is the perception caused by human cover-ups if you see what i mean yeah so so recently I was um, I was drawn into a documentary called um, the Pentiric UFO Incident. I think that's how you spell it. It's basically a place in Wales. Um, 
I've heard, uh, I've heard of this one. This is where the trees were. Didn't, yes. Somebody saw... This is my memory of it. Somebody saw something. It seemed to crash through trees and there were branches and stuff and it crashed in a field and whatever. Something that, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah. You're, you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's a pyramid craft. It happens in 2016. Pyramid-shaped craft um, crashes into some woodland near the Welsh village of Pentyric. And not only is it peculiar that so many people saw the incident and that um, a few witnesses saw like what you would call people coming to do a cover-up, so people with guns, people with strange cases of material, but the fact that the trees were removed very, very quickly... And then the excuse was, oh, they had um, a disease which affects uh, the larch. And uh, then the trees were replanted. And then there's so many things about that. Like, the um, I was watching this documentary, which is on uh, the YouTube channel called The Paranormal Scholar. Uh, and it was published three weeks ago. It's well worth watching if... Um, if you're up for it, called the uh, Pentyric UFO incident. And um, there's a witness there who uh, she speaks to the press, she speaks to local mainstream press like Wales Online. She gets threatened. Um, uh, she claims she was threatened with having a fatal car accident. She gets scared into okay. being quiet. I've not heard and that then, story. That's interesting. He, yeah. Um, because she has spoken to these people who were in the field and then these trees disappear and then there are saplings planted. But but if you take out the sort of like the like her being threatened and seeing these people turn up, there's kind of like there's a trope there. It's almost like an ex filian mm. thing and, and a men in black. But the trees suddenly disappearing and being replaced and everyone going well you know that's just because they had a disease that adds into the you know you could put that down to the trickster thing and i think that is like it's very difficult to know where the phenomena stops and um some pervasive uh desire by a human very human based group of individuals who don't want us to know anything about this mm. starts and and i think they exploit that that's what it feels like i think they exploit that area that gray area where um phenomena and what humans can do uh get mixed that's that's my interpretation of it well it, uh, let's just run with that for a minute because the other thing i've we've that's come to my mind a, a couple of times over the last few episodes that we've done where we've kind of talked about this theme is uh, the tie-in with mass hysteria as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I I think when we did an episode on mass hysteria, we, we covered a number of events. And some of them you can you can almost see why they happened. Other ones are a bit like, well, where did that come from? But it... Yeah. If we run with your premise for a second, because the other kickback against all of the, a lot of the UFO stuff is, well, why is it happening in the same 
kind of area, right? And or near military places is the other one. And there is the logical explanation of, yeah, well, people are just seeing top secret stuff, right? That's that's there's a logic to that. Or aliens are checking out what we're doing and spying on us for or monitoring us. Um but it did make me wonder that if you go with your trickster spirit analogy, that somehow a little bit of that mass hysteria around the area almost creates an energy that it can feed off of. Mm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, that or, does make a lot of although sense. Although it's funny, the bit I was talking about a minute ago about the physical aspect of this didn't seem to tie into the theory of people not being able to interpret what they're seeing and kind of turning it into something they can understand. I guess you could also apply apply that theory to seeing some new technology that you don't understand, that maybe you don't see it as it is. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah, that's, that is also very true. That is also very true. But I think the the other side of that is um, it, it's it's almost like there is a um, coming from somewhere there is a human enforced view of what the what the interpretation should be. Yeah. If you see what I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and that's that's the very peculiar thing. So. In terms of Lonnie, the human forced interpretation was, oh, you saw a, a lunar lander. Um, for the the incident in Wales, like who knows what the enforced one was. Uh, I believe that uh, locals were told that it was a, a military training exercise. Right. And it, so it, it's, that, it's that thing of um, where the where the phenomena stops you have like whoever it is that is making up the other part of the story they have to make up a story which gels into the back of yeah what whatever the previous story left off if you know what i mean it's it's almost like you know you, you you write seven chapters of harry potter and then somebody has to come along and finish the rest of them to convince everybody that he was a real wizard you know what i mean yeah yeah uh, could I also come back to the markings? Mm-hmm. Because, um, while, again, while you were describing it, I did kind of Google some of them. And it, they're not the same, but it reminded me a bit of the markings that the military guys said they saw on the craft in the Rendlesham Forest incident. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's very interesting. You should say that. Yes, it does. Um, so the I think the major difference between what Lonnie describes and what the newspapers reported, which is probably the majority of the images which then uh, sort of came out, is things like the um, the arrows, the arrow being filled in rather than being. A line, right. for example. I think that's one of the key ones. Yeah. Um, yes. When we go to um, the Rendlesham incident, we do get those peculiar um, markings. I wasn't aware that any of them were exactly 
the same as Lonnie's. No, but stylistically. It, but they come from the same alphabet. Yes, yes, absolutely. And, and I could be wrong about this, but what, there were markings, weren't there, with the Roswell incident? And, and, I, and I can't remember what they looked like. But in my mind, and this is interesting, if not the case, they, they were, I was thinking of those as well. Um, yeah, they they were described as being like hieroglyphics. Yeah, exactly. So that I guess I guess you I, I could be really interpreting something that's not there and making it so, but I think it's interesting. But that would also tie into your a bit of this kind of trickster spirit and a bit of us interpreting things. Uh, in a way that we don't understand and making some sense of it because you know does yeah. does that kind of marking almost like a gray seeing a gray alien it almost it it gives us a framework in our mind of what a marking on a ufo should look like or yeah you know what yeah, I mean? that's right yes yes and and in in the case of um the um those markings that look like sort of Egyptian symbols. Like there's two explanations. Well, no, there's three, isn't there? There's one, um, people are mistaken and or making it up. Um, there's The second one is they are related and the TV show Ancient Aliens is more accurate than we think. Yeah. And the third one is... No, it's tricksters who are just having a big old laugh. Yeah, yeah. And, like, when you boil it down, (laughs) when you really boil it down and you think about the people that have witnessed these things and um, the evidence that we get, like I referenced Lonnie there, it really does feel like the third. It really does feel like something is messing with us. I just had this vision in my head that there's probably a whole group of trickster spirits sat around their equivalent wherever they get their podcasts. I don't know. I don't know whether a trickster spirit is going to be more a Spotify or an Apple podcast or a Podbean, <laughs> but wherever trick trick.co. Yeah, yeah, they've got their own, haven't they? They've got their own. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Trick pod. <laughs> oh, Trickpod, yeah. yeah. So, or Trickstapod. They're all out. They're all what listening with Trickstapod, taking notes. Go, oh, that's a good point that Ben's made. We can incorporate that next time we do a bit of trickstering. <laughs> <laughs> but is is the whole? Does that mean that the basis of the universe, other worlds, other life forms, multi-dimensional beings? Is a massive comedy show. Yeah, maybe. Or I started thinking about the, you know, simulated reality actually could fit in with that us interpreting things in the way that we can handle them. Maybe it's in 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 a in a simulated reality, maybe it's a case of oh, they've thought of this thing. We've got to give them a visual representation of it. What one will they be able to stomach? Maybe there's less control over this 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 thing than we know. Maybe we are, you know, it does fit in with that we are generating it. We're generating it by almost thinking it. And there's some computer program out there that goes, well, now they've thought of it. We've got to create it. Well, it's funny you should say that because 
like that would fit into what we were talking about the podcast before last where people are in attempting to manipulate light sources yeah. and it's doing the exact opposite like yeah of course that makes perfect sense if you were in charge of sims you know it yeah it sort of makes sense yeah. it really does make sense yeah in a in a perverted sort of way i i got this vision if we keep doing this podcast if we get to 100 episodes, I've just got this vision of this very shiny, flashy star coming out of the sky and landing next to me. <laughs> of me kind of jumping into it or a massive heart that recharges me for the next 100 episodes. <laughs> oh, well, like two things. We'll definitely get to 100 episodes. Yeah. And B, are you thinking like Jesus? No, I, I, I was thinking more of Super Mario Brothers. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, I get you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah maybe yeah, that yeah. is my religion. I don't know. Maybe I just <laughs> created one. <laughs> that could be our religious, you know, our, our religious saying could just be, uh, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now I want pesto pasta, yeah, and, and w- that's just the thing. I want to play Mario Kart now. <laughs> yeah, Mario Kart is definitely oh, yeah. What a game the on the game. Nintendo sixty four for for us old timers out there. Yes, yes, yes. I think that is the best version. Oh, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Um, look, uh, that was uh, that was a difficult episode because uh, not only did uh, not only was I looking. Th- through a 300 page sort of like it's almost like a school textbook at this point but um the points you have to kind of pull them out and i think the main point that we're really sort of homing into is there's a lot of very similar cases in the 50s and 60s that center on america and they have a lot of things in common and that the Socorro case is particularly interesting because we have such a reliable witness, because he has such a very clear description of what it was that he saw. And then on the other sort of the flip side is that he had a lot of people that wanted to take him down. And um, when I referenced the Welsh case, it seems similar. I'm not suggesting the people in Wales saw a particular being but they definitely saw something and there is there is a definite i think we can be assured that there is a uh, a mechanism whereby people who have seen something that is obviously real and they talk about it are being silenced and the stories that are made up around that silencing are, you know, fantastical in its original sense of the word. Yeah. So what would be super interesting is, because I know we've now got um, a number of listeners to this podcast and regular listeners, and probably one of the reasons that you found us was because it rings some sort of truth with you. And if 
you've seen something or heard something from a friend or felt like something wasn't right it'd be really interesting to hear from you not so that we can like expose you to ridicule or something like that but it'd be very cool to just like understand whether that sort of presupposition of you know this world is geared against people who see things that they probably shouldn't see in inverted commas you know in an x-file sense then it'd be really nice to hear from you and like you don't have to tell us a big story just kind of like if that if that rings true with you let us know because um you know feels like we're in a bit of a club yeah, and also I was thinking while you were saying, I totally agree, Ben. I was thinking while you were saying that, I'm also interested of, you know, we're, we're building these themes and we're not saying one of them works over another, but there are a number of threads that we've got going on here in terms of, oh, it's something, to, you know, we're in the matrix, we're... Um, we're not able to interpret what we're seeing. It might be coming from a parallel universe, might be coming from somewhere else. You know, the trickster spirit. There's all these themes that we're going on. It'd be really interesting to know how, if somebody has had an experience, or most, all right, I've had this experience. Let's model that against those different themes that we've been talking about and see which one resonates with you within your experience because i think people intuitively have a kind of gut feeling about these things yeah. that's a really good point yeah yeah i see exactly what you're saying yes yes because i sort of feel like sometimes that i i hadn't thought of it in that terms but when you say modeling your experience against it i feel like sometimes um, even without human interaction, people are forced into modeling an experience in a particular kind of way, yeah. which denigrates the original thing that they saw. Yeah. Um, and what, and, what I'm suggesting is rather than pick one, model it against all of them. Yeah, and right. See what yeah, resonates yeah. with you. So you're not being boxed in by, you know, oh, well, it was in a graveyard, so it must have been the spirit of the dead or. You know, yeah, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. It's like... I do, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, but does that work with a kind of simulated reality? Oh, it kind of does. No, it doesn't make sense with that. Does that work with the trickster spirit? Yeah, it does. So it'd be interesting. I'm not sure we'll get anywhere with it, but it'd be really interesting to go, actually, if I was being forced to pick a route that in some way could explain something that happened to me, that's the one that jumps out of me. Now I've tried it against all the different formulas. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, that's very exciting. I like it. Well, if you want lot. to do that, go check us out on uh, social media. So either on Twitter or Facebook at at TQM Podcast. Um, uh, like, follow, do whatever you can while you're there as well. Or uh, you can go to Instagram, and uh, there we're at TQM Podcasts with an s on the end but yeah we with an s yeah um or you can uh, depending on the platform you're on you can leave us a message wherever you get your podcast as well some of them do some of them don't but um we'd we'd love to know and it doesn't have to be a big thing it could be a little jot a little small thing that happened to go that's a bit weird but we're really 
say to people, if you have an experience, try mapping it out against some of the theories or all of the theories that we talk about on the podcast, all the themes. Yeah, I completely agree. And if your life is just very plain and nothing weird has happened to you, just like and subscribe. Yeah, or we still say hi. We're quite happy to say hi. We'll still say hi, but just like and subscribe. Definitely. For the love of all that's holy, like and subscribe. (laughs) You told me not to beg last week and you're doing it now. Oh, yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) I suddenly found I wasn't proud. (laughs) Well, uh, Ben, in the words of our new religion... Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm going to go and get my red dungarees. I'll see you later. <laughs> I'll get my green ones. Uh, <laughs> see you next time on the Quantum Mechanics. <laughs> see you next time. Bye. <laughs> the quantum mechanics.